I'm glad to be here tonight. I really am. Um, one of my passions is is sharing God's word, and uh, so I'm I'm just very happy to be here. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter five. You know, I I, I love the world. I, I have a I, I'm love I love nature. I have a garden in my backyard. I have a greenhouse. I love going out. I went up early, out early this morning, and if any of you were up early enough this morning, it was cool. There was there was dew on the grass. I like to go out barefoot and just enjoy nature. I picked some some of the vegetables that I had, and I just really love what God has done with His creation. But I also understand that there is also many things that happen in God's creation that aren't so good, like weeds. And and so you know I, I build garden boxes that are high enough. I do my own dirt, trying to you know keep the weeds out. I have a bad back, so I can't get down on the ground. At least that's the excuse I tell everybody. I do have a bad back, but so but I, I know that God has done some amazing things. He, he's he's so creative, and yet I know that there are problems, that there are scars on this in this world. There was a story of a of a young woman who was in an auto accident, a very severe auto accident. And it was so severe that they had to reattach her leg. And she had a friend of hers who came over and, and said, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to kind of see your scar. So she says, okay. So she showed it to her and it was, it was on her thigh. It was pretty deep. And, and, and her friend was like, <gasps> but she said, it's okay. The doctors tell me it's a deep scar and it has to heal from the inside. So I want you to think about that as we, we dive into this story in uh, this, this account in John chapter 5. Because we know we all have wounds in our lives. I have a wound on my hand. If you look at it, it's still here. It's from when I was a kid. No, Jimmy didn't do it. My brother pushed me into a window, shattered the window. I still have that scar. We have scars that we carry with us. We have, I think all of us in this room could probably say we have some scars in our lives that will never go away. That we never share with anybody, that people don't know and they can't see, but they're still there. The world is full of scars. We fall. It's just part of, see, pain and, and, and hurt are part of being human. I ran into my, my, to, my towing hitch on my truck today and my wife's like, oh, I know how that feels. I'm like, yeah, at least I know I'm alive because it hurt. Doesn't hurt anymore. We're good. But, you know, we have broken relationships. We have broken bodies. As older I get, the harder it is for me to get up, out of bed, and getting older. We have broken careers. I've had a few careers of different careers in my life. I haven't always been a pastor. We have a broken society that requires healing. And that healing is an inside job. But that also means that none of us are helpless. Because we have the great physician, Jesus Christ, who knows how to heal us from the inside out. So I want to, I'm, I'm a big context guy. I want to tell you kind of what's going on in this. I, I, I never like jumping usually into, I usually preach through the scriptures. I usually preach expositorily. I'll begin in the first chapter, first verse, and I preach every single verse all the way through. Um, I've been on Isaiah now for over a year and a half. We'll finally finish Isaiah this year. Um, so, but I want to give you some context. 
before I, I dive into chapter 5. Jesus has been in, in Canaan, or in actually he's in Samaria. He's in Canaan. He was in Samaria. He met the woman at the well where he tells her all of her history. She becomes a huge evangelist for the town. He's been up into where he was from and he, he did the miracle, his first miracle of turning water and wine for some friends of his mother's at their wedding. Right before chapter 5, he is, he's, he's in Canaan and, Canaan and he's, he's there and there's an official that comes to him seeking him out, knowing who Jesus is. Saying, my son is ill and I, I want you to heal him. And Jesus tells him, he's healed. He doesn't even have to go see the boy. And the father goes back and, he, and he, the, the, his servants tell him he was healed at this time. And he remembers that was the time that Jesus said, your son is healed. So now Jesus is coming back to Jerusalem. And you'll find out throughout the Gospels that Jesus leaves Jerusalem, comes back to Jerusalem. Usually what they do, they would come back to Jerusalem for the festivals. And that's how this begins in chapter 5. It says, and I'm going to ask you to stand as I, because I'm going to read all through all 15 verses of John 1, 1 through 15. So we usually stand if I'm going to read that much of it in honor of God's word. It's what it says. It says that after this, there was a feast of the Jews and the, and the Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Sir, are you, well? you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for Jesus and his willingness to heal. We praise you for the cross and the ultimate healing that will come to all of us as we kneel before Him and accept Him as our Lord and Savior. May these words, Father, be written on our hearts. And may we honor You in all things. We pray this in Your holy name. Amen. Bud Saddam. Now Jesus was in Jerusalem for one of the religious festivals. There are four religious festivals that the Jewish men had to go. So it is believed that this one was Purim. Purim is my kids, one of my favorite kid, one of my children's favorite Jewish holidays, because of the cookies that are, that they make during that time. Purim is the celebration of when Queen Esther saved the Jewish people, and it was a time of celebration. Gifts are given, and that's why Jesus is there. Now, 
Jesus is in Jerusalem, but it seems that he's by himself. He doesn't have his disciples with him. So this must have been pretty early on in his ministry. He was not known in Jerusalem as popularly as he was known out in Canaan, out amongst the small towns and in Nazareth. But here he is, He's in, and he's going to a place called the Pool of Bethesda. Now, Bethesda means house of mercy. And you can go today, and you can go in Jerusalem, and you can see this pool. It's a double pool, and there's all these places you can see where the pillars were, where there's all these colonnades. Colonnades is just a fancy name for a roof, okay? So if you're at home and you want to impress people, say, come out and look at my colonnade, you know. But it's a roof. So there were five of them that would shelter, would shelter the people who were there at that time. It was also close to a place that was a place, a temple. This temple was a temple to the god Asclepius. Asclepius, if you ever see a picture of Asclepius, he's standing like this and he has a snake by him. He's a doctor. It's a, it's a temple of healing. This is why the people were there. They would usually build these temples close to pools of water because there was something mystical about water. So the people believed that they would, if they were there, they could either bathe in the water or they drink the water. And then at night they go and they sleep in the temple. And they would believe that the gods or the god of that temple would give them visions. It was a popular place for the ill. It was a pagan place. The disabled were there because of the coolness that was... If you've been to Israel, if you've seen pictures of Israel, there's not a lot of trees usually. It's dusty. It's part of the desert somewhat in places. It's hot. So it provided shade. So they gathered there, hoping upon hope that they would be healed. Now beneath this pool is a subterranean stream. We know this. It's a very deep pool. They've, they've, reached, they've excavated down, they've looked down, and it's a very deep pool. And every once in a while, because there's a stream that goes by, it would bubble up. Air bubbles would catch, and they would bubble up. And what the belief was, and it is in some, in some scriptures, in some um, translations of the Bible, they include this um, in the ESV and the NIV. They do not because it was, it's not in all the manuscripts that we have. But it was believed that what would happen is that an angel would come down and stir the water, and the first person who ever gets in would be healed. Now, with our knowledge of modern medicine, we might say that sounds kind of crazy, but that was not uncommon. These people were desperate, and anything that might work, they would try. Now, Jesus is there, and he's just walking. Nobody knows who he is, but he's there, and he finds this one man who is utterly helpless. Helpless. He has been there for, thir- he has been lame for 38 years. Now, my assumption is that somebody brings him there, because he doesn't live there. Somebody brings him there, leaves him there, and goes away. But he has, a, he has nobody to help him. He is in a miserable condition. And Jesus sees him there and he asks him a question. Do you want to be healed? Now, I thought, when I first read that, first time I ever read through the book of John, I thought, well, that's kind of a stupid question. Of 
obviously he wants to be healed. He's been ill. He's been lame for 38 years. Of course he wants to be healed. But I also learned that every time Jesus asks a question, he already knows the answer, obviously, because he's God. But there's a purpose behind it. I mean, he's there. He's, he's waiting to go into the water. But Jesus asking the question anyways. See, Jesus wasn't just asking him, do you want to be healed from your physical state? Because Jesus knew he had been there a long time. Jesus knew that there was more. This man had deeper wounds, deeper, deeper ills that he needed healed for. So he's not just asking, do you want to walk again? He says, do you want to be healed completely? Now, the thing about that question, you know, most of us would say, well, yeah, he wants to be healed, but think about that. The poor, they didn't have government assistance. If you were poor, you had to beg. And you had to, you had to rest on the charity of other people. But now, if you are suddenly healed, okay, now you have to make a living. You can no longer pretend that you are ill or that you can't walk. You have to make a living now. So he had to be thinking about that. Boy, if I get healed, I'm going to I'm going to have to I have to I have to be responsible now. So you can kind of understand there may have been some hesitancy for him to really want to be healed. Sometimes we hate what we're suffering. But at the same time, we get accustomed to it. It becomes part of our life. Like I said, I have a bad back. I hate that I have a bad back. But I, I'm used to it. I don't worry about it. I just do things. I don't let it stop me. Because if I did, I wouldn't do anything. And I'd be poor me. So the man answers him and says, Oh, sir, there's nobody to put me in the water. Notice, he evades the question. He does not answer Jesus' question. He says, he says, he looks at his condition and his problem and says, well, nobody can put me in the water. He complains about what his problem is. Now, many times we, we, we try to resort to popular means to solve our problems. I'm guilty of it too. I'm a pastor. And you know what? I'll be honest with you. I struggle sometimes to be, have prayer be the first thing I do when I find myself in trouble. <laughs> I'm pretty resourceful. God has given me the ability to figure things out pretty well on my own. And I think He did that for a reason. Because He wanted to teach me you can't figure everything else out on your own. You need my help. Come to me first. So this man doesn't realize, he thinks Jesus is talking about the human things that the people try to do. A superstition. In, this, in his mind, this man has no means for fixing his problem. And he's probably thinking, oh, Jesus will pick me up. This guy, he doesn't even know his name. This guy's going to probably pick me up and put me in the water. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking past his problem. He's not looking past the things that are in front of him, the stumbling blocks. He's just looking at, i got to get past this. i got to get down there. i got to get in the water. That will heal me. But the problem with that is we cannot save ourselves. None of us can. None of us can. 
See, many of us, we have, I have this desire to be well. We have that desire. We want it. But do we really want it? And if we, if we, if we really want to do better, we've got to understand we can't will it to happen. I can't just have positive thoughts and think that it's going to get better. It won't. I have to go to the source. I have to go to someone who can make it better. And the only one who can make it better is Jesus Christ. And he's standing right there in front of this man. The man doesn't even know it. Now, understand that many times our help comes in unexpected ways. I always love it when God blindsides me. He does it so many times. It's like, oh, I never saw that one coming. But he does it. So Jesus tells him, because Jesus is the only one who can give life, and no human effort is going to do it. So he tells the man, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And what does he do? He gets up, he takes up his bed, and he walks. He doesn't question Jesus. Now that sounds like a pretty crazy thing to do. He doesn't question him. He just does it. He is healed before the action takes place. Before he does what Jesus told him to do, he's healed. That's how he knows he can do it. He gets up and he goes. See, in, God, in the grace of God, he, he, Jesus reaches into this man's situation and he commands him to get up and walk. The great healer. There's nothing that commends this man to Jesus. There's nothing special about this man. There's nothing that, you know, Jesus is not looking at him and saying, well, he deserves this. He deserves to walk. There's nothing. He's been, doing, he's been lame for 38 years. People are probably tired of him, ignoring him. He's, he's nothing special. But Jesus still has grace to heal him. He doesn't acknowledge his deeper need. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right, Jesus, I, need, I do need more help. No. He just gets up and walks. Hmm. See, the thing about this story, this is one of the things it tells me. Jesus comes to us while we are still sinners. I keep telling people this. Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to make our lives look perfect. He comes to us and says, I'm your Savior and I'm your Lord. I died for you. I paid for your sins. Believe in me. And we're saved. And then the Holy Spirit starts straightening up our lives. Okay? And believe me, I think I, he, he probably works overtime on me. Like I said, I haven't always been a pastor. I used to work in the insurance business. Enough said. He came to do things for us while we were yet sinners. This man doesn't even know who he is. In Romans 5, 8 it says, But God shows His love for us that in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. I, I keep that verse in my mind all the time. Christ died for me, even though I was a sinner. I deserved nothing. 
and he gave me everything. The man didn't get his life straightened out. At least not yet. But one thing he did do, when Jesus told him to do something, he obeyed him. He obeyed him. The world will tell you, you can't. You'll never be healed. You'll always be like this. And Jesus says, I did. Now you can. Because I did. Because he died on that cross for us. We can be healed. But the pattern of the world says you can't. You'll always be an outcast. I'm like, yep, I will. (laughs) Good. Because I don't want to be like the world. I don't want to be like the world. God calls us to a different pattern. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This man who was destitute for 38 years could not walk rose from a life of despair to a life of renewal and a life of strength. But his transformation was not yet complete. See, because what Jesus did for this man was done on the Sabbath day. I'm preaching on on keeping the Sabbath this Sunday, so it's interesting that I caught this and I did this, I chose this while, uh, a few weeks ago while I was up at camp. So it's interesting what God does. But it was a Sabbath day, a day the Jews were forbidden to do work. Now understand that uh, the, the law that the man could not carry his mat is a man-made law. That's not what the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath did not mean that you couldn't do good things. See, when we encounter Jesus, the world will always attempt to put something in front of us to keep us from following Christ. Always. Puts a stumbling block. And many times we do. We put, we put our, put things inside us that, that we have to tear down those strongholds inside us. Those old thoughts. Those scars that we have. We, we ha- either have to, we have to let them heal or we've got to ignore them. I don't even, you know, I, I look at this when I see my hand, but I don't really think about what happened until I'm staring at it, you know. We, we gotta let those things go. We gotta tear down those strongholds. But when you counter Christ, the world always attempts to throw a block in your way. But, but God doesn't stop working on the Sabbath. The sun still rises. The rivers still flow. People still lit, uh, born. People still die. He still works on the Sabbath. Okay? The purpose of the Sabbath is to delight in God. And I want to tell you something. When you do something good for somebody on the Sabbath, God delights in you. And when Jesus healed this man, God delighted in that. But the rulers want to say, who did it? You're not supposed to be doing this. Who did this? He says, I don't know. Because what happened is Jesus wandered away because he, he, he was in a, there was a crowd there. He did not want to cause a ruckus. He didn't want people coming around him. There are many times Jesus would go off to a quiet place trying to find some time with the Father and he would be disturbed. 
there were people who traveled all the way around the Sea of Galilee on foot to catch him on the other side. It was always, they were always trying to find him. If they found out that he had healed this man, they all would have wanted to be, been healed. That wasn't his purpose at that time. It wasn't time for him yet. And I know it may seem that the man is unthankful, but later we see, because we see in we see in chapter and verse uh, fourteen, Jesus finds him where he finds him in the temple. He's where he should be, because normally when you got healed like that, you'd have to go to the priest to make a sacrifice, and that's probably what he went to do, according to the law. He obeyed Jesus' command to get up and carry his mat, but the man had a deeper issue. Because Jesus says to him, see, you're well. He says, sin no more. Because something bad, something worse will happen to you. Now, what's worse than being crippled for 38 years? The only thing I can think of is burning in hell forever. That's simple. That's the truth. Jesus is telling him, there's something much worse that's going to happen to you. This was bad, but there's something worse. So stop sinning. And you're like, I can't. And I say, you can. Because you need to surrender to Christ every moment. I have to get up in the morning and I have to surrender to Him from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep. Every moment of my life. Because I have temptations too. I have problems too. I have a past too where things were done to me that are terrible, that still haunt me to this day. So I have to surrender to Christ every single day. See, the world will try to heal your wounds superficially. We want things done superficially, you know. So we get sick, we get a cold, what do we want to do? We want to take a pill, right? We we get a we get a cut. I I'm, oh if I work outside I come here I come inside and I'm bleeding all over the place and I don't even realize it. My wife's like, you need a band aid. No, I don't need a band aid. A band aid is only good for so much. It won't heal everything. When we were kids, yeah, you know, every time you hurt yourself, you wanted a band aid because you thought it made everything better. No, it doesn't. And too many times we try to put band aids on our lives. When in reality, what we need is we need to see the one who can heal us from inside. And that's Jesus Christ. We've lost the sight of the root cause of the the misery and the wretchedness in our world. It's the sin that's in our lives and sin that's in this world. Because we've sinned against a holy and righteous God. He's provided a way for us on the cross to be back in relationship with Him. And, then, and I, believe me, God, God doesn't just magically change your life where, you know, I'm, I've, I've accepted Christ now and, oh, I don't have any temptation anymore. Everything's just wonderful. Yay! No, it's not sunshine and unicorns. Because Satan had you once, he's going to try to get you again. So we need... We need Christ every day. See, if we could just be free from the power of sin and bring our wills into line with the will of God, it would change our world. 
It would change the world around me and it would change the world around us. And we would be free. But it's only through faith and that moment-by-moment trust in Jesus Christ. It's never easy. There's so many things in this world that's going to try to defeat us. That's why Peter warned us in 1 Peter 5. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I always love that line, that verse, because think about this. It's a roaring lion. When the lion wants to pounce, it doesn't roar. What is he doing? He is roaring because he knows we're not going to get away from him. So he's just roaring like crazy going after us. He's not stealthy. He's coming at you directly. You know he's coming. Got to be ready for him. But see, we need to have this intense desire and determination to overcome the temptation. And God provides, always provides a way out. Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. God provides the way. All we have to do is find it. With Jesus Christ, we can conquer the things that for a long time have conquered us, like the man did. He conquered. Jesus Christ conquered his illness, but told him, don't sin anymore, because something worse is going to happen. So today, Jesus is asking us, do you want to be well? And to be well It begins with repentance. This altar is open. If you're struggling, even if you've been a believer your whole life, if you're struggling, we need to take it to Christ. We need to give it to Him and let Him take care of it. The altar is open.